Is that Glock? Well, I'm tripping major nutsack right now. Oh, send him! Welcome to the world of winning. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Switchback Formula One podcast. Coming to you, uh, well, another another, another week, another non-race week. Better get used to these. My name is Graham, and joining me today, it is the worst golfer on the planet. It's Luke Holmes. I'm sorry. I, I would absolutely slap you at golf with friends. Don't give me that. <laughs> Have you? I don't think we've played together, to be fair. I thought we Whenever did one. If we did, then I was having an off day. <laughs> <laughs> it's always an off day if, I, if I'm doing badly, bro. should know this. Yes. Uh, we've been trying to fill some of the gap by playing some games. Um. <laughs> we have played some very random games the last few weeks. We have. Very random. I've played Rocket League for the first time, which was uh, not fun. I don't know why you don't like that game so much. It's flipping it's fantastic. Not, it's not that I don't like it. It's more the fact that you lot are insane at it, and I'm just there struggling to even turn the car, well, and you lot are blooming bouncing into me and destroying me. And Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a bit hard to keep up with the pace of it. Well, bear in mind, I've been playing <clears throat> it since 2016, so... You absolute sweat. I, I've, I think... I, so you say that, but I think I've only, like, I've only got... I think it's just under two gay, two days in total. All right, o- o- only forty only. hours. Yeah, yeah, only. So you know, bit of bit of give and take with that. Yeah, no, it it just take me a few more sessions to get used to. It, I think. Whereas you're Mister Sweat and flipping uh, GTA Five online races. No, I'm not. You've won Matt, a thousand fucking... races. Yeah, but that that was over like a four year period. Oh, so it's oh, so this is oh, this is very different then, is it? It is very different. Mm. You can't forget my one thousand seven hundred losses either. That's still under. <laughs> that's still half. You still have won half of uh, that, like so to speak. Yeah. So I don't want to hear it. Also, Matt, definitely the most undeserved victory. I'm, I'm going to thank you. He, man, tried to claim he didn't take me out, and it's like you clearly have. I was very upset, <laughs> and I'm, having seen the footage, I'm, I feel, I feel vindicated. Yes, I was like, yes, he's done that on purpose. So, thank you, Matthew, for, for that. Anywho, uh, we're back with another, another podcast. I'm hoping this one will be shorter because there's not a lot to get to, and we'll, we'll get into what we're going to get into. Yeah, we'll see. We're going to get into what we're going to get into in a moment, but there's one major bit of news over the week, and it was the uh, Aston Martin announced the departure of CEO Ochmar Safnauer. Uh, so leaving with uh, leaving with immediate effect, uh, Aston Martin. I'm reading from RaceFans.net and Keith Collentine. Aston Martin confirmed uh, this is back on January the fifth, so just under a week ago, uh, that Safnar quote has left the company and his role at Aston Martin cognizant Formula One team. Uh, sorry, he's left the company and his role at Aston Martin will be managed within the leadership team until a replacement is appointed. And they go on to thank. Thank him for his past 12 years and uh, they mentioned that he as he undoubtedly will undoubtedly take on a new challenge or new challenges. So alluding to the fact that possibly he's not done in F1. And then Asimar went on to say about how they are fortunate they've got, you know, strong groups of individuals and will take their time in announcing the new team structure, etc., uh, etc. Et the focus of the team is currently on preparing the most competitive car possible for the start of 2022. So, uh, yeah, a uh, little, little note at the end here. Of course, we we covered it at the time, but when... Did you feel when Aston Martin hired Martin Whitmarsh that that was the, star, the sign of something more with Safnair, or do you think this has been coming for a little bit? Yeah, I, I've always thought the signing of Whitmarsh was a bit... Bit weird, if I'm honest. I don't, I don't know why you'd put him in place if he wasn't going to be taking over as team principal or something very high up in uh, the near future. Which I assume is what's going to happen, to be honest. Unless they decide to hire someone else and have a little bit of a a multi-man tree at the top of the table instead of having one main man, shall we say? Or Lawrence Stoll just decides to take over. Why not? <laughs> Uh, Widmash's current role, he was hired as Group CEO for Aston Martin Performance Technologies. So that 
I don't know if that is exclusively F1, if it's a bit with the road side as well, or... That's media jargon, I think. That's just for another role. That's just another words for he will be team principal, but we're just going to call him something else for now. And he's going to sit there until Omar decides what he's doing. Of course, this added fuel to the fire because back in back in November, early November, uh, Jonathan Noble of motorsport.com reported that uh, Safnar seemed to be set for a shock switch to Alpine. This was a surprise at the time. And the words at the time, uh, Aston Martin said at the time, it's speculative conjuncture. We couldn't comment on it, therefore. And then Alpine also said, look, the rumours are, we're not going to comment on rumours. And then Safnar cleared, well, I guess kind of cleared, just saying there was media speculation. Uh, my Aston Martin team communication staff correctly issued a spokesperson statement to the effect that rumours linking me with the, to the Alpine F1 team are merely speculative conjecture and that they would not therefore comment further, he wrote on Instagram. However, since the rumours have now been sensationalised on certain websites, creating a spiral of misinformation, I've taken the decision to proactively to confirm Take a decision proactively to confirm hereby that the rumours are pure media speculation and not based on fact. That was right. in November. Now, he might not still join Alpine, but it didn't really diffuse, you know, his future and if the possibility of him leaving, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, it didn't do anything of that kind, really. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's Alpine. That, it wouldn't surprise me at all. <clears throat> this is the man that said... Oh, we're not signing Sebastian Vettel, and then ends up signing <laughs> Sebastian Vettel. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. I will. I will take what he says with a pinch of salt until I see him go to like a different series or somewhere else completely. I'll be very surprised if it's anywhere else other than Alpine, and if it's if it's in F one. Yeah, like he's been around F one since nineteen ninety nine, I believe. So he's been around for a while in various other other teams and roles and. And the such, obviously, most prominently here at um, Racing Point slash Aston Martin. Uh, did you feel it was only a matter of time? Because I feel like, at the start, obviously, we've talked long about Aston Martin, particularly, particularly at the start of the year, about how they kind of were very vocal and complained about, you know, the regulation changes in the floor and all that, the high rake, low rake. It always felt like those comments were, you know, from Stroll, but Safnar had to be the mouthpiece. And I always got the feeling that he wasn't particularly comfortable being, you know, speaking Stroll's words, so to speak. Yeah, I, I got that feeling as well, to be fair. It's, I, I'd, I'd be in this, I'd, I wouldn't want to be in that situation either. I'd want to be, sort of have Stroll as a silent partner and talk, <laughs> do the talking behind the scenes if you're, Catch my drift and stuff. An hour does all the talking for the team itself, and then discusses things behind the scenes with Lauren Stroll. But as we know, he doesn't do things like that. And I assume he's basically seen how poor they've been, and he's decided, unless Otmar has decided to leave off his own bat, that someone has to go and things need to change. Yeah, that's a bit and, we. That's a bit we don't know is whether he yeah. left of his own accord or if he was. I guess, let go. I think it might be a bit of both. You know what I mean? Where he's sort of like pushed towards the door and then he's sort of gone, yeah, I think, I think I'm ready for something new. And he's been there a long time. 12 years is a hell of a long time to be with an F1 team. Mm. Hell of a long time. So, yeah, we'll see what happens with uh, Safnari if he does end up going to Alpine. And if he does, I don't, again, I don't think it's going to be, I don't know if they'll let him go immediately or because these... Yeah, that's just, Personnel like this, you know, it does take time to to shift, and there's all sorts of there was all sorts sorts of uh, rigmaroles to kind of go through and uh, red tape, etc. Because you're taking over secrets and the such yeah. from you know, obviously Safnar will be extremely involved uh, or at least extremely aware of the 2022 cars uh, development, and of course, it wouldn't be too late for him if he joined Alpine immediately. Uh, to implement some of what he's this intellectual kind of property at this stage. Yeah, he could quite easily go. Oh no, don't do that. Ask some mana doing that. Copy that type thing. Which is why. How how long did James Key get when he transferred from Toro Rosso to McLaren? Was it like oh. a year or garden leave? I feel like he only started in twenty nineteen, and I think he was yeah. announced in twenty seventeen. I'd have to check that, but 
yeah, because the, the first involvement of a car was this year's car, I believe, like properly. He was probably involved a little bit with the 2020 car, but mainly his involvement was came out this year. So it, it's a long process of switching teams if you, if you do decide to do it. Let's have a quick check on this, because I always find this one very interesting. Um, Marcin Bukowski is another example of this. Took a while from, from the FIA to uh, the Renault side. And the uh, James Allison was on gardening leave for quite a while uh, before. When he, I still find it weird that he was with Ferrari. That's a, that's, that is yeah. so bizarre. I, I can remember seeing them pictures, yeah. But uh, when he obviously he went to, uh, he was on gardening leave and then went to Mercedes. Yes. Uh, do, 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 do. it looks like it was twenty, maybe in twenty eighteen. Yeah, but started work in twenty nineteen. Yeah. So, so before we move on, prediction of where Safmar is going to go, and who's going to replace him at Aston Martin. I think it will be. I think it will be Alpine. I, there's no smoke without. There's no fire without smoke. Is that the expression, or is no smoke without yeah. fire? That's the one. Um, so and look Jonathan Noble is fairly well sourced wouldn't be surprised if that was how it went and I wouldn't be surprised if he joined but obviously couldn't do anything until maybe 2023 uh, and what was, sorry, what was the second one who replaced them uh, I yes. I think they they're confident they, they can hire I, I reckon they'll try and hire from within and it wouldn't surprise me if it, if it was with Marsh I, I think that makes yeah. that makes sense and I think that seems like the most logical choice, right? If they're if they're hiring from within, that seems unless he's got the experience, right? Mm. He's the one. I, I don't really know personally in that team, to be fair, but he would be the one standout candidate for me. Yeah, but, you know, he's he's yeah, the one with the racing experience. Yeah, but there is also people like Squirrel on the market. Yeah, who I'm sure that would be an interesting trade. <laughs> you have Squirrel, we'll have Otmar. That would be a very, very strange switch. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if Stroll stepped into that role himself, but... He'll be in the him. car in 2024. You watch. It's going to squeeze off stroll, An all-stroll lineup. <laughs> he'll, he'll be building the car, racing it. Yeah, he'll be doing everything. So, yeah, what, what's, what do you think? Same, same kind of thing? I, I'm the same as you, yeah. If it's not them, then I'm pretty much... I don't really know. If I'm honest, it's, mm. it, the, like you said, the rumours for Alpine are very strong, and I'd I'd be very surprised if he went anywhere else. Yeah, and you were describing earlier, like you know, with that, like you, the possibility of Aston Martin kind of doing it by committee is not too dissimilar to what Alpine are doing at the moment. Yeah, yeah, they've got quite a few people taken and uh, quite a few people in charge of that team, so mm -hmm. it's an interesting dynamic for sure. <laughs> Yeah, very much so. So we'll see what happens with that. But our main topic for today was we wanted to kind of review the 2021 teammate battles and also preview then the 2022 ones at whatever team we're doing. We're going to do five this week and five next week. And we're going to go in kind of... Uh, so we're going to start with Mercedes, then do Haas, and then do Red Bull and do Alfa Romeo. Kind of the kind of you know first, last, first, last kind of thing. Yeah, working our way towards the middle middle of the grid, pretty yeah. much. So we're going to start with Mercedes. Uh, obviously, uh, Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton was their lineup for the fifth season in a row. And for the fifth season in a row, it was Hamilton who prevailed. Uh, obviously taking the, uh, the title fight down to the last, last lap, essentially, as well. Uh, the head-to-head, -head, I have some of the numbers here. Hamilton has eight wins to Valtteri Bottas's one. Five poles to Bottas's four. Closer than you think in that regard, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, that is surprising, actually. I thought it was a much more distant in that. Mm -hmm. uh, 17 podiums in Hamilton's favour to Bottas's 11. Uh, Hamilton won the race margin 18-4 to and led the qualifying one 17-5. And laps led, 933 laps led to Bottas's 107. Oh, sorry, laps, laps ahead, rather, not, not led the race uh, to Bottas's 173. So, look... It would have taken a miracle for Bottas to have somehow found the pace to to top Hamilton in his fifth season in their fifth season together. But I guess look, Bottas's season, you know, it's been it's 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 been bad. But at the same time, you look at those numbers, and I I, I don't know, could 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 it have been worse? 
it could have been worse, but I think he's made the best of a bad situation, to be honest. Like, he's had some absolutely awful log, and Mercedes has absolutely screwed him towards the latter end of the season with the constant changing of engines and mm -hmm. putting him out of position, which we all know, as we've said multiple times on the podcast itself, that he struggles to get past people when he's in traffic. So that kind of thing sort of ends his weekend and chances of getting a podium unless he's on top form. So to be to finish where he did, I don't think is a bad shout. It's not a great one, not a great season, but there is a lot there's a couple of seasons that are a lot worse. Yeah, eighteen being being yeah. one of them for sure, where he went to winless, I believe, in two thousand now he should have had the one in Russia, but alas. Yeah. yeah. Uh, would you say like the Turkish Grand Prix obviously was the only race he won obviously Hamilton took a grid penalty that weekend and it was in those wet conditions where would you rank that in Bottas's best best victories now I know he said in an interview that it was one of his best if not the best race he's ever done so to be honest there isn't really many Bottas wins to choose from well, there are, the, there are 10. There are 10, but there's not really any that really stand out. His, his first race win in Russia for Mercedes, that one is up there, having to d defend from Vettel, a charging Vettel. Uh, really, not really anything really stands out to me, so I'd probably say it's up there. Definitely top three. Mm. I always thought the one that stood out was Australia 2019. It was the start of Bottas 2.0. Oh, yes, yes, sorry, yes. That That is the auto-dominant Bottas, that one. That one is, yeah, probably the most insane Bottas win, if I'm honest. Yeah. yeah. Probably them two that I just said, probably just behind. So... Look, the, the two, obviously, Hamilton and Bottas, they worked very well together as a team. That is obviously reflective in the fact that they won their fifth Constructors title together. Uh, they mm. they never really came to blows at all on track, apart from, what, uh, Germany 2018? Yeah, I, I can't think of a time where they've had any contact, really. Certainly not contact, and like again, it's more so getting one car of the way, or in that case, to stop yeah. them fighting because Bottas was was going for it. But they, yeah, they got. They obviously look. It's Hamilton's spoken a lot about how he gets on with Bottas. Uh, now he was he asked often on the radio where he Bottas was. I think that was just so he, if he, I guess, hoped that he was ahead of Verstappen or the, the sort. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely just Hamilton thinking about himself. <laughs> As you would, mm. well, as Lewis would, sorry. Uh, Bottas was very disappointed when he learned that Hamilton had lost the title at the last lap. They got on very well as teammates, and it is one of the better partnerships that we're not going to see in 2022. Yeah, it's sad to see it end like that, but at the end of the day, I think Bottas needs a reset. I think I want to see Lewis have a challenge at the same time, because... I, I, I'll be honest, I don't like the way Mercedes treated Bottas mm -hmm. because he was seen as the wingman and and it, it just wasn't fair for a very talented driver. Let's not forget, in Williams, he was one of the best upcoming drivers in the sport and he went to Mercedes to replace Rosberg and hasn't really lived up to it. And he's not very old, really. He's, he's in his early 30s. He's, he's turns, to turns 33 yeah, this this August, he's still got plenty to give. Yeah, and that that is something that people need to realise. And I hope he proves that next season. Yeah, there. I think there he could have a redemption year next year because I think people have look when you're in look, when you're in a, a car of that caliber, you are going to be and obviously against Lewis Hamilton, you are going to be judged, you know, harshly or critiqued harshly. And he's been through that. He's obviously had quite a lot of bad press and not a ton of ton of good press when he's deserved to have that good press. So uh, I think, yeah, his reputation, I think, will be one that I think is... I think now that he's, he's in the midfield, I think he'll do... I think he'll do well to win... I think he'll do well enough to win some of that back next year or this year. He deserves to win some of it back. No, that's that's my view on that. He, he, 
it is, it is criminal that he doesn't get the respect that he deserves. Uh, some of his numbers at Mercedes, obviously, took 10 race wins. He has 20 pole positions, which is 14th all-time in F1 and the highest number of pole positions for a driver that doesn't have a world championship. And I couldn't find... Uh, I had to count these... My, I had to count them, but I think he's got 58 podiums with Mercedes as well. And obviously, he makes up uh, the most common podium in F1 history with Verstappen, Hamilton and himself. Yeah, which is going to be sad that we probably... Well, is it going to be sad? It, I, I, yes and no. You, you know what I mean? I, I like to see them three on the podium, but at the same time, I don't. It's one of them. I'm, that's sort of like a happy medium podium for me. Mm. So, but, mm. do you have anything to add then on the partnership between Hamilton or the, the, the head-to-head with uh, Hamilton or, or Bottas? Kind of as you would expect. These, these top ones aren't going to be too interesting because they are quite one-sided. Yeah, it's, it's very one-sided. Obviously, Mercedes favoured Lewis pretty much from the get-go. Mm-hmm. That's, that's been the case for the last five years. So It's not, not surprising. A glance, a quick glance ahead to 2022. Obviously, George Russell is pairing Lewis Hamilton at Mercedes. New regs. Uh, we don't know what on earth to expect, but I'm expecting Russell to struggle a little bit off of the bat as he gets himself fully acquainted. I don't think he's going to have the hot start that maybe like a Charles Leclerc did a Ferrari. I Maybe he could. It wouldn't be in the realms of impossibility, but I would guess that compared to Hamilton, he might need a little bit more time to get acquainted, and that might be reflective in the start of the season. I'm the opposite. Really? Yeah. I, I have faith that we're going to see the change of God, <laughs> that Lewis is going to go into this season deflated. And obviously... He was deflated when him and Nicole split up, and that showed in his driving and in them few seasons when he was going through that breakup. And I'm thinking it's going to be a very similar situation, especially if that car isn't good. He's he's not going to be a happy bunny. So I think George will probably take the opportunity with both hands and show what he can do in a a car that should be towards the front of the pack let's be real it'd be very mm-hmm. surprised if it's at the back if it's in the midfield that wouldn't surprise me but that's just the regs anything can happen we said that and we've been banging on about that all year so for me if George can get to grips with it and I think he can give Lewis a good run for his money this year next year is a different story so you're saying that the title heartbreak here at the end is going to carry over into next year or this year? Yeah, basically. Okay. Uh, would you predict Russell to beat Hamilton over the course of the season or? No. It'll be very, very close. Okay. Uh, let's move on then. I have nothing else to add on that because we just mm. there's just a lot we don't know. And this is just a quick preview for 2022. Let's move on to Haas then. Uh, obviously, two rookie drivers in Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin being promoted from F2. In the races, it was 16-6 to 6 in favour of Schumacher. Uh, race fans has these as finishing ahead. So I think there's discounted DNFs, uh, in which case uh, it's 11-3 to 3 in uh, favour of Schumacher. In qualifying, it was 20-2. to 2, And in sessions, they both finished in, it was 20-0. to 0. That's, again, this is according to race fans. Uh, Schumacher had 590 laps ahead, Mazepin at 325, a little bit closer than you might think actually there. Yeah. Uh, best finish of 12th for Schumacher in Hungary, uh, Mazepin's best finish was 14th in Baku, and uh, Schumacher made two Q2 appearances, although one of them kind of <laughs> of his own making, so to speak, when he crashed. Uh, Mazepin's highest grid spot was 15th. He did not make Q2, but that was with, uh, with penalties. Um... How much do you want to say? We've talked about plenty about Mazepin and Schumacher, and including recently. Uh, I guess when you look at the, the stats on paper, I guess it doesn't do, do Schumacher the justice of how superior he really was ahead of Mazepin in 2021. Yeah, he's sort of one of them battles that goes under the radar of how close Mig actually was to the back of the, the pack at times. It wasn't every race, but he was. Portugal was a great example of him actually outperforming the car and showing what he can do. Mm-hmm. And Mazepin being like nearly three laps down or whatever it was. 
<laughs> it shows. I, I think Mazepin has got a lot to prove. So I'm really looking forward to how they can develop as a team and as teammates next season. Arguably, they were at their best at the end of the season. Where Haas, they were close to the, they were close to some of the your Giovinazzi's and the Tifis and the such at the back end of last I mean, season. It's like, not hard. <laughs> well, like the the disparity between the the cars at that end of the grid, like the Haas was by far the worst car, but you had Schumacher very close to uh, Giovinazzi in, in Qatar before he spun there. Uh, he was in front of the Tifi, I believe, before he crashed in Saudi Arabia. They were they. Gunter Steiner was talking recently about how it was. He found it strange that they were able. They were much closer to the pace, uh, comparatively speaking, to their some of their other competitors, or I guess not even competitors at the end of the season. So, I think that speaks to a has kind of figure a few things out, but I think more so to the drivers and understanding a bit more setups, tires. I think because the car we know didn't really get better at all the season after Imola. Uh, apart from obviously Mazepin got himself a new chassis uh, after much, after much, uh, the daddy paid for much yeah. grief for that. But I think it's just reflective on them. And Mazepin was much better towards the end of the season as well. He was, he was. I, I think uh, I've said this before. I don't think he gets on with a, an unsteady car, and I'm sure a lot of drivers don't either. So I would not like to be in that unpredictable ass. It was. An absolute menace at times, yeah. especially Saudi Arabia being a prime example. It just went for no reason and absolutely destroyed the the back end of the car when the Mick crashed out, caused the red flag. So, yeah, it, I think they've got a lot of things to build on for next season. They've they've had their year of learning yeah. and going under the radar because I don't think there was many times where we saw them on on TV really. Apart from like the first lap, maybe, and then maybe if there was absolutely nothing going on and they were being lapped, <laughs> yeah, those are the only times we got to see them. So hopefully, Haas have got their act together and have actually built a semi-decent car that can actually give the drivers the machinery they deserve to show what they can do. Yeah, other than blue flags, they weren't on live TV a lot. I'm sure there was there was a few replays of them they came together and the such, but. Yeah, this is this, yeah. Year, this is this is what you're, this is what you're saying. Like it's well, if they have a say, for example, they've got a car similar to what they had in 2019 that was quick enough to be, or 2018 rather, you know, quick enough to be fourth, fifth, sixth kind of quickest car. Suddenly, then those two drivers are vaulted up the grid, and we're going to see a lot more of their qualities on show. Then their racecraft, how, and this is the thing. Like they've this is if there's the a year for mistakes was was last year. You know, that is the mistakes that they made last year and behaviors they did last year in terms of like their incidents on track and the such, they will absolutely not fly this year if that car is semi-competitive. Sure. The rookiness has to go, pretty much, is basically they've been given a year's grace, mm -hmm. which a, a lot of drivers don't get. A hell of a lot of don't, don't get, in fact. Mm -hmm. Which is, is sort of is a, is a con and a pro, in a sense, because obviously they've wasted a year doing absolutely nothing in the, in terms of getting... A decent reputation in the sport, but they've they've got the year under their belts that Guan Yu Zhou won't get, mm -hmm. pretty much, unless that Alfa Romeo is absolutely shite. <laughs> but let's be real, it's not going to be as bad as that has. No, I'd find it hard pressed unless they get it always wrong. Yeah, that would be very funny. So, with twenty twenty two in mind, uh, what's your expect? We kind of talked about some of our expectations here in terms of. You know, they can't be making these mistakes. Uh, Schumacher, I think, is going to acquit himself very well, I think, this year, regardless of how competitive that car is. I think he, he did so this uh, in 2020. I keep saying this year, but of course it's it's not. It's last year. It is the new year. Yeah. Uh, he acquitted himself very well last year in 2021. Uh, you know, we saw, we saw that in flashes. I think we'll see more of it this year. But I'm backing Mazepin to have a much better year too. Uh, again, he ended the season pretty well. I was just thinking about this earlier. Like again, Mazepin, yes, he is in F one by you know obviously financially there's a lot to, for Haas to gain for him being there. But like Mazepin was a better driver heading into F one than say Lance Stroll was. Like that you cannot convince me otherwise. Mazepin was a quality driver in F two, a bit reckless and a bit dirty at times, but underlying pace was there. And I'm backing him to kind of rediscover some of that now that he's got 
you know, year under his belt, I think he'll be much improved and closer to Schumacher this year. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that's spot on, to be fair. he He's more talented than what people give him credit for. He is not just... Yeah. He is a pay driver in a sense, but he's a pay driver. He's a still a top pay driver in the same same regard. He is one of the better ones. He is not uh, a Samaya from F2. He will get you the results if you give him the machinery to do it. Now, it might be the, the wrong way sometimes, but <laughs> he will give it his best go. He's very passionate. I will give him that. I'm going to give you a uh, an over under on the constructors uh, constructors positioning of Haas next year. I want you to say over or under on it, and I'm going to set it at I'm going to set it at I think eight and a half is safe. So do you think they'll? So basically, I'm asking if they'll finish uh, either higher, higher than eight, uh, higher than ninth, essentially, or will they finish eighth or above? It's a low baseline. I thought about seven, but seven might be too high. They'll finish under under ninth, I think. So ninth or tenth? Yeah. I don't think they'll make a massive jump, but I think they'll be there in the mix, hmm, is okay. what I reckon. So, Probably still at the back, but yeah. Yeah, they could still, they could be, they could still be at the back, but be much more competitive at least. Be like Williams this year, pretty much. Yeah, essentially. Uh, do you have anything else to add on Haas before we move on to Red Bull? Uh, Mazepin to beat Schumacher. No. <laughs> yes, I'm not. I'm not. That is not a serious. <laughs> I'm not doing that this year. I'm not doing bold predictions. I said that exact thing last year. I'm not where that got me. <laughs> like I'm backing Mazepin to have a better year, but not that much better <laughs> than Schumacher yes. anyway. Yes. Uh, moving on to Red Bull then, obviously uh, Max Verstappen, the first time partnership with uh, Sergio Perez. Uh, this was a pretty much a whitewash. Maybe this might have been the, the furthest disparity of the uh, of the grid. Uh, Verstappen won 10 races to Perez's one, took 10 poles to Perez's none, 18 podiums to Perez's five. Uh, in the race was 19 to three, and then at race fans has a finishing head 17 to one. Uh, in terms of qualifying, 20 to two in favor of Verstappen. Uh, race fans has that at 20 to one. And laps ahead, Verstappen was ahead for a thousand and six laps to Perez's ninety-five. And I'm sure a lot of them came towards the end of the season and at Baku. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, there's not a ton to say here. I mean, Perez did what he was brought in to do. He couldn't ultimately. He lost out in the battle with Bottas. Uh, obviously, he was deployed uh, somewhat similar to Bottas. I think a bit earlier in the season as well. To be fair, at times. Than uh, yeah. Bottas was. Now, did he do a better job than Bottas did as the wingman? I I think he did. I actually think Bottas was a better better wingman, Bottas. but I will say Perez showed up when it really mattered in that last race. Perez was there when it mattered. Bottas was the more consistent wingman. If you know what I mean. Which you Bottas should expect. The... Yeah, yeah. Whereas Perez was there sometimes. So, yeah, he he got there when it mattered, and obviously, yeah, helped a hell of a lot in the last race. Like ultimately, Red Bull is one of the driver who would perform in that second car. I think Perez did that. Yeah, they could have arguably. I have said we have said this a couple of times. They could have arguably won that constructors championship if things went their way. Yeah, obviously they lost a buttload of points in Hungary. Uh, obviously Saudi Arabia did not work out too well uh, for Perez and uh, things happened here and there and obviously he had to retire late in Abu Dhabi of course it didn't matter at that point but I think ultimately uh, Perez can be pleased with how I know five podiums seems a little low compared to Verstappen's 18 of course but obviously Perez definitely uh, well I mean Verstappen had his fair share of bad luck too at times but Perez probably had a little bit more so that lost him lost him some podiums yeah, it probably should be about seven or eight podiums, mm -hmm. to be fair. You've got, you've got to keep that in mind. Obviously, Red Bull caught him out of a few of them, and then, like you said, certain races where he uh, got absolutely bulldozed, <laughs> took him out of other ones, and then reliability out of another one. So, Perez will be one to keep an eye on for the uh, new year, for definite. 
I reckon. Yeah, speaking of 2022, I mean, obviously it's the same partnership again for Sapp and Perez. I expect that partnership to be stronger in, in this year, unless the car is a absolute handful to... I guess continuity mm. matters a little less this time around because the cars are just so different. Everyone's starting with somewhat of a similar, I guess, base or understanding. Uh, we'll see who gets up to... The better drivers will get up to speed quicker than the others. I expect for Verstappen, obviously, to... <laughs> I expect Verstappen to be among that as well, but we'll see how Perez gets on. But I think, obviously, the continuity would have helped. Mm. But experience could be king. Maybe. Perez has got Perez has got a hell of a lot of experience. Well, this is year... This will be year, what? He started 2011, so this is, what, year 13? That is, that is crazy. That, that is not the same young man that I saw. In the Zalba. No, I'm not having that. Or is, is it season 12? I think it's season 12. It'll be season 12, yeah. So, yeah. It's uh, it's weird to think that there's only four years between him and Verstappen in terms of F1. 2011 to 2015. That seems yeah, wild. That's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, that is actually bizarre. That's not that, that's not that big, but it, feel, it felt like that era lasted so much longer between 2011 and 2015. 2015. That's a that's like, that's like me and you in real life, isn't it? I'm well, obviously the young hard shot, and you're the old gent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stud. Sorry, I'm the young stud. Sorry. Um, Let me be correct. So, looking at Perez's stats, then obviously for Stappen, we expect to be very, very strong. We'll see what the Red Bull is like. Do you think Perez has a good chance to better his 2021 stats? One win, no poles, five podiums. What do you reckon? Yes. Well, yeah, he would definitely better it, I, I would think, if the car is competitive. But he needs to sort out his qualifying. Yeah. Because that was probably the main thing that cost Red Bull in the constructors at the same time as his unfortunate luck. Like, there was only probably Imola was any time where I thought, oh, wow, Paris is actually on it. Maybe one more, maybe, maybe Mexico. Even then, I don't think it was that close. So, yeah, he, if he gets that sorted out, which I don't think he will because he's never really been known as a qualifier. Yeah, I think he is what he is in qualifying at this stage. He He's a race he's a race merchant, mm. pretty much. Yeah, and if these cars do indeed help with that, then that could definitely play into his strengths this year. Yeah, definitely, definitely could. So, we'll see. We'll see how they, uh, how they get on. But yeah, expecting obviously very strong things from Verstappen, reigning champion. Uh, but yeah, that partnership should be one of the better ones on the uh, on the grid next season. It won't be the best. It won't be the best, but it should be one of the better ones. Yeah, it won't be as good as the house boys. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, let's, move on. Imagine. <laughs> let's move on to Alfa Romeo, who finished ninth. Uh, it's one of the more interesting teammate battles of the season between Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi. Uh, in the races, they were 10 apiece. In qualifying, uh, it was to, to, to do yeah. thirteen to seven in favor of Giovinazzi. Uh, race fans has thirteen to six, but this was after Giovinazzi led eight one. So maybe that's not a bad comeback from Kimi. So it's a mm, bit of context on that. Uh, mm. Highest finish for Raikkonen was eighth. Giovinazzi was ninth. Raikkonen had ten points. Giovinazzi's three. Uh, Giovinazzi had the better qualifying, uh, qualified seventh. Raikkonen's best was tenth, and Raikkonen led six hundred. Sorry, he was ahead for six hundred fifty-eight laps to Giovinazzi's four hundred. I thought you were going to say four then. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Jesus Christ, how is he even considered? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know. I found it weird. Like I found it fitting that, arguably, like, like, according to many people, this is Giovinazzi's best season in F one. And I in all, disagree. in all this, I I disagree too. Um, but in all the stats that matter, uh, it was Raikkonen who was ahead. Yeah, obviously, I I would say Alfa Romeo were very unlucky. They were, uh, like, they made the most gains. I would say, apart from Ferrari this mm -hmm. year, um, they got super unlucky in Hungary that they didn't benefit more, like everybody else around them did, apart from Haas. Um, they were unlucky that they had to drop Kubica in the car, the only COVID-related replacement this this entire year. I know Kubica is not a bad driver, but he's not 
as good as Kimmy in my book. Mm-hmm. Obviously, not as able as well, which is unfortunate. Um, he, and obviously, Giovinazzi was a quality merchant. <laughs> so I, I don't, I, I don't see how people can say it was his best season, for one. If he'd have done what he'd done in qualifying in the races, then he'd still be an F1, wouldn't he? In my eyes, because yeah, this year was a last year was a complete surprise that he got a drive to start off with. Mm-hmm. Me and you were both in complete and utter shock that he got that, and he honestly did absolutely feck all to uh, warrant staying, apart from being the quality merchant, like I said. Uh, Raikkonen obviously missed two, the two races in Zandvoort and Monza with Kapitza coming in. And Giovinazzi, I think, only finished one place ahead of him in the race, in the races. Mm, now, Zandvoort, you can sort of take with a pinch of salt because yeah. they, they absolutely butchered that strategy. Yeah, and the same could be said in Mexico where Giovinazzi is running seventh or so. Yeah. Six or so, seventh. Uh, I think every driver, to be honest, has had at least one race where the team has cocked it all. Oh, I'm sure, absolutely. Apart from Lewis, because hashtag blast. <laughs> Uh, in terms of you know, like obviously Giovinazzi qualified better, but obviously failed to really capitalize. Obviously Italy uh, Monza was a pretty pretty rough one in that uh, in that regard. Obviously came uh, came together with Sainz, and uh, that one went away from him. But yeah, like and obviously there was a situation in Turkey where you know they had Ocon on the no stop in front, and they asked to, for Raikkonen to switch or to him to switch positions with Raikkonen, didn't oblige, and uh, they probably lost out on a point that day with uh, with Raikkonen not being able to you know obviously he was stunted by a few seconds behind Giovinazzi who wouldn't wouldn't budge uh yeah I thought generally speaking those two got on quite well to be fair uh, even despite yeah. some of the uh I guess reluctance on track from I guess Giovinazzi's side they they did make contact in Portugal on, on Raikkonen's side that was a an unfortunate that was quite a funny one DNF yeah <laughs> kind of early in the season that uh, other than that, like, yeah, I mean, it was. You say they get on. They, they do. They are probably mm. they get on the best out of anybody on the grid. Yeah, it's strange, especially, isn't it? Especially, especially outside of F one as well. They are always. I've I've seen countless pictures of them together, which is very strange. Cause I would I would take Kimmy as a uh, very closed off person, but it seems with Giovinazzi, it seems just to hit the spot and have a decent decent relationship with him, which is. Which is fantastic. It is, yeah, it is one of the more odd uh, kind of relationships in F1 that is up there for sure. Uh, of course, we're going to be. Imagine. Go on, sorry. Oh, I thought please. I was going to say someone's stupid. <laughs> no, please, I welcome stupidity. I, I was going to say, imagine telling your kids this is Italian Jesus. <laughs> uh, probably could at that age. Yeah, they definitely could. So, one of the tighter kind of battles on track, again, like you said, they didn't have a lot of luck in terms of. Uh, it was less so the points they lost and more so the points Williams gained, mostly yeah. at Hungary and and uh, Belgium. Belgium. Mm. That kind but, of screwed them. Yeah, they, they they got screwed in a sense, but in, in the same sense, Williams made their own luck. They made the most of it, for sure. Yeah, basically. They, they took the opportunity when it came to them. And... Previewing 2022, obviously they've got a brand new lineup with Valtteri Bottas and Guan Yu Zhou. Obviously, you'd expect Bottas to comfortably edge that battle. I think Joe, I think is, I think already kind of getting a little bit of the pay driver reputation when he's uh, more than, like more than, obviously not as deserving maybe as someone like Piastri, but certainly will be, I think, strong enough in F1. We'll see how he gets on, but... In F2, he has shown improvement in each year. And last year, again, same situation. In the title fight there for a few races. Won more feature races, which is his main knock, really, in his first two seasons in F2. His qualifying was better this in 2021 as well. So I think he's made good improvements to get to where he needs to be heading into 2022 with Alfa Romeo. I think he'll do I think he'll do pretty well. Obviously not as well as Bottas, but I think he'll do uh, I think he'll do well. It'd be, it'd be solid, wouldn't he? He's just one of... I think he'll be dependable. He He's probably, I would say, got the same ability as Mazepin. He's not bad, but he's not insane. Ooh, I'd rate him a little bit higher than that, heading from F2 to F1. I don't know, but Mazepin was only in F2 for two seasons. Whereas Joe True. Was in F3. 
True. I know that might not be down to him completely, but Joe did seem to take a little bit longer to get the consistency going, which might be something that he's worked on and got better at, which I hope he's hope he's sorted out because it'd be nice to see him consistently giving Bottas a good run for his money. Yeah, absolutely. And it'd be nice just to see someone new having a good go and show him that they're not the pay driver that he's being perceived as, which is slightly, it's slightly true, but it's, it's not at the same time. It's, it's very, very different circumstances. I think. Mm -hmm. I think those two will get on well, Bottas and, and Guan Yu Joe. Obviously Bottas gone, Gone well uh, with Hamilton, especially in the immediate aftermath of the Rosberg stuff, which obviously there's a lot of friction at Mercedes when obviously they're those two were together and in the midst of their own title fight. And obviously they're the only two fighting for the title for those three years. And obviously it was pretty, pretty tense stuff. And then obviously Bottas was able to come in and obviously partly due to the fact he wasn't going to contend for a title. But, you know, obviously they it was a lot more amicable at Mercedes and, you know, good relations and and that and that sort of thing and i'd expect that to carry over to alfa romeo as well Bottas seems to be very easy to integrate to get involved with the team and get on with his teammate and i don't foresee those guys having a ton of issues on the track yeah unless, unless they make contact that is probably the only time Bottas is going to kick off mm -hmm. Bottas is a very calming presence i feel yeah i feel like unless joe really takes it to Bottas and wants to really beat him and goes for a move that you know he shouldn't or whatever then yeah i think that's probably the only thing that will really kick off <laughs> the uh yeah. any tension and I, I believe enough in fred Vassour to sort those two out or sort of sort joe out at least if yeah I don't think, and joe i don't think is that kind of driver anyways no I, i've never had that impression no so i don't foresee it being an issue yeah and uh, for, like i said fred is quite the uh, stern character <laughs> he, won't, he won't stand for no shit no he will not uh now fred was always talking about we've talked about this multiple times during last year but obviously fred was always talking about you know the journey of alfa romeo and where it's going and the project and obviously bottas is part of that project and all these kind of things so everything that his comments have lent to from last year lead me to suggest that they might be in the kind of the bottom-ish of the midfield, maybe towards the back, possibly this first year or so of the, these new regs. But obviously they want to develop hard and to move up the grid, as every team does. But I'm going to set the over-under for you at seven and a half. Are you going over or under? Under. They'll finish below seventh. Or yeah, yeah. Below seventh. I'm going to say eighth is where they'll finish. Okay. Which is an improvement. So, I think they'd take that. It would be an improvement. Uh, they should have finished eight last year, but... <laughs> yeah. Alas. Yeah. Indeed. Okay, though. Last one then for today is going to be Williams. Uh, obviously, year, th year th two. I almost said three. Year two of Russell and Latifi. Year three for Russell and F1 is what I'm thinking of. In the races, uh, Russell edged out 15 to 5. Race fans has it as 15 to 4. Four, sorry, 14 to 3. In qualifying, uh, margins 20 to 2 in favour of Russell. Race fans as that as 19 to 3. Uh, Russell got himself 16 points to Latifi 7th with a best finish of 2nd coming at Belgium. Latifi finishing 7th at Hungary. Uh, Russell's best qualifying, of course, was 2nd at Belgium. Latifi's was 10th. Uh, I think also at Belgium. And... Uh, Russell led 909 laps to Latifi's 186. So, mm. I mean, similar situation. I guess similar to Mazepin Schumacher to a degree. Obviously, it was quite a large... Again, the, the gap between the two was quite large. Latifi finally managed... I think with the spring qualifying, really managed to get himself ahead of Russell officially in qualifying, even though I believe Russell... No, it was Brazil where Latifi out-qualified... It was both, right? Obviously, because Latifi finished ahead of Russell in the sprint, but it was in it was in Brazil, the normal Q1, Q2, Q3 format, where he actually had qualified uh, Russell for the first time, I believe, even though he would do so in the, in the in the sprint as well, which is why he has the two. Yeah, that was it. So at least he got at least he was able to shed that 
from his uh from his uh, I guess reputation. But look, I mean, Latifi, he was, you know, when he scored points, the thing I kept wanting to see because his his points, the majority of his points were very circumstantial. In fact, all of his points were very circumstantial uh, with Hungary. And of course, in uh, the in Belgium, we got the one point there for his uh, for his uh, for the red flag. But I always, the thing I wanted to see was what can he? How can he follow this up? Can he? Is this real or is this just circumstance or is this you know? Is this is this just a you know a, a you know a flash in the pan, or is it? Is he just? Is he still the TV that he always is? And by the end of the season, you know, obviously they had their big point scoring run by the end of the season I couldn't I couldn't help but feel like it like we're, I was just watching the TV that I know him to be well yeah right there was literally two races where he he did something I, I, I don't think that it might have even just been one like he he's good at Monza to be fair yeah there, there was definite improvement this year there was I, I would say but not enough mm-hmm like, he was battling with a Haas at one point. Oh, yeah. probably... No, in well, fact, well, he finished twice. Behind, well, he finished behind it in Portugal. <laughs> yeah, and obviously the whole last race scenario was because he was battling with Schumacher. And like, I, th- I think he was... I think he may have been behind Schumacher when Schumacher spawned in Qatar. I'm not sure about that, but... Yeah. Or, close, or very close to... Very they were close definitely close. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think he's got a lot to uh, prove next season against uh, against very tough competition. Oh yes, yeah. so. it's make or break for sure next season. Uh, you say that though, but it, it is though. It, it is, but see, money talks is what got him a third season. It will not get him a fourth unless he shows improvement. That's the definite difference between know. two years and now, like Van Dorn, and getting an extra third year, like he has, he has, uh, he has this year. I don't know, man. He, I, I just think that he's got too much money in the in the team to uh, for him to lose his seat. Mm. I, which, I, which is which is bad because he probably doesn't deserve to be there. No, in fact, he definitely doesn't deserve <laughs> to be there. One way on the belt. He there's no no denying he's a talented driver. I'm not not taking that away from him. Sure. He's definitely better than me. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think he'd better be better suited elsewhere. Just as in yeah, another category. Uh, another planet, maybe. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Probably, probably like endurance would probably be better for Latifi. I think. There's not a lot to say really in terms of the head head with Russell because it was just as we expected, you know. An absolute whitewash. So <laughs> rather than focus on that, when we look to 2022, obviously we, he's got Alex Albon as a teammate. Obviously Albon, a year out of the sport on the sidelines with uh, with Red Bull, contributing to their efforts there as Verstappen won the title. Uh, obviously, I'm very interested to see what Albon does. I'm interested to see because he was a he showed you know good promise in that Toro Rosso in his in his rookie season and then found himself driving for Red Bull that year as well and then obviously 2020 wasn't uh, it didn't quite go to plan uh, against Verstappen there but I guess we're going to find out if this is the kind of area Albon belongs in or if if again because he was the third best of that 2018 F2 driver crop to come up in 2019 with Russell and Norris I didn't think he was particularly F1 ready when he came up he had a good showing in Tor Rosso and then a strong you know strong enough showing in the Red Bull towards the end of the season you know I guess we're going to find out how much F1 material Alex Albon is properly this season yeah I, I think he was rushed and that set him up to fail in F1 certainly our top team Bull. for sure yeah he needed a year or two with Torosso before he got dumped in the hot seat, and he yeah. didn't get it. And that obviously, I, I think the pressure got too much for him, and obviously, it just never went away. I and think it snowballed for sure. Yeah, Richard for sure. Just it just got uh, worse and worse and worse. The more results he couldn't get. 
basically yeah he, and the, expect, the expectations got higher and higher and higher and mm-hmm. he just was just going backwards when in reality he should have still been with Toro Rosso and maybe been considered for a seat this season rather than a couple of years ago mm. and conversely now, Gasly should have been you know just left held a little longer yeah pretty much so I am very intrigued to see how he gets on in a completely, uh, what's the word, non-toxic environment, I want to say. Because I, I think... Well, certainly not there. Yeah. He would, uh, I think he was left left to pretty much stew at Red Bull mm-hmm. and being dealt the hand he was dealt and having to sit there for a year and watch from the sidelines wouldn't do my morale any good. And I'm hoping that Williams sort of give him the help in hand. I think he's one of those drivers that needs needs to be babied. Needs an arm round him to guide him the right way. And I think Williams are the team to do that. Maybe mentored might be a better way to uh Yeah, but you, you know you know exactly what I mean. Yeah. Like, I think he's he, in the perfect scenario. Yeah. You know, pretty a, much. a team down the grid and there is a said mentor in place at Williams. He has a consultancy role. It's Jensen Button. Yeah, who is one of the best to have. <laughs> and Button has said he's hoping to be, uh, you know, with the team a, a bit more this year. Yeah. So sort of, uh, he won't. He won't get that. Yeah. He he won't get that. You know, support or you know, advice from the TV the way you know, even like a, a Mick Schumacher has gotten from Vettel. You know, I mean, they're not even the same the same team. Um. But I think this is the perfect environment for Alba, I think. I think he will I think he will thrive away from that Red Bull stable because it's very high pressure. Uh, even that Toro Rosso, if you don't perform, obviously you still have, you know, Franz Toss or Helmut Marco on you as a Red Bull young driver. But I think at Williams, I think they'll embrace him, they'll welcome him, they'll give him the support he needs, and I don't think he'll feel as much pressure as he will have at certainly Red Bull, but even Toro Rosso at the time as well. And I think yeah, I think the pre- obviously look F one is for pressure. You know, what I mean, like it's you know you're going to always be pressured in F one. That's just the nature of it. But obviously, it's almost tenfold in that in that environment. And some people are able to deal with that. Some aren't. And maybe Albon falls into that latter category. And I don't see him having an issue outperforming the TV in his first year at Williams, despite being on the sidelines for a year. He drove the F one car plenty of times last year, so he's not completely rusty. No, I know. I think he's just a more talented driver full stop. Yeah. Not the most talented driver, but he's definitely got an arm and a leg and a, an entire body over, over Latifi. <laughs> so I, I think this would be a very interesting team to watch. Because obviously Williams are on, I would say they're on the rise. Not so much an insane rise, but they're definitely going in the right direction. Yeah, it's been trending that way since 2020 as well. You know, they've obviously reduced the gap, even if they weren't able to, you know, score any points. They should have scored points in Imola in 2020, but alas, they they broke that duck last year. They finished eighth. I still don't know. Maybe it's just my old, you know, the mindset of these old regs. I still find myself thinking that it'll be Williams, Alfa Romeo and Haas in those, that eight, nine, ten region. But I have to open myself up to the possibility that it, it any one any one of those teams could be top five or six. You just you just never quite sure how it's going to break or who's going to you know grasp these rules better than some other teams. Yeah, because you never know what the engineers have got up their sleeves. So it's going to be a very long couple of months of waiting to find out who's what, yeah, and where who, and type type scenario. <laughs> So it seems like you're a little bit higher on Williams in 2022 than I am. So I'm going to set this at six and a half. Below. They are not going higher than sixth. No chance. Okay. That is probably their limit, I would say. That a lot of things need to go in their favour. And they need a hungry style type race for that to happen. (laughs) But I think they will definitely... Uh be like Aston Martin should I say where they got a car capable of doing getting the points consistently or saying that Aston Martin didn't have that what am I about <laughs> but you know what I mean they, they've yeah. got 
something there rather than this year where it's just literally track dependent. Sorry, last year. Mm-hmm. God. I know. Yeah, me confused. It's, it's, it's tough, man. It's it's difficult. Um this is one of the more this is one of the teammate battles I'm more interested in just because I don't I wasn't I'm not huge on Alex Albon. I don't think he was as good as people made him out to be. But No, I agree. I I certainly think he's better than the Tifi, but it'd be interesting to see the the mix of I guess, you know, obviously continuity on the Tifi side. Uh, you know, he's aware of the team and he's obviously had the year in F1 last year racing compared to Albon, who did not, but Albon's a better driver. So it's interesting to see how it kind of equates itself and uh, how close it it might be. Won't be. Or won't be, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say it won't be. I, like, I, I, am, I am pretty confident Albon will probably not do what Russell did, but it would be very convincing in Albon's favour. I would expect him to edge out comfortably as well. Maybe not as much, maybe not convincingly, but comfortably. Yeah, it'd be like a, a 65-35 split. Maybe like a Vettel stroll kind of thing from this year. Yeah, that would probably be a decent season for Albon, to be honest, I, I think. I mean, it'd be better, better season for the Tifi, I think, than... <laughs> yeah, actually, yes. You say that, yeah. He'll probably go to Haas the year after. and uh, yeah. Okay. It keeps you on the grid. Mazepin and bloody Latifi. Oh, God, God. what a lineup that would be. What a sensational lineup. <laughs> so that's going to do for part one, at least, of our, I guess, team mate or team review preview uh, for, for uh, 2021-2022. Uh, next week we'll have uh, Ferrari, McLaren... Alpine, Aston Martin, and Alpha Tari. That's going to be tasty. We've got kind of some of these backmarker teams out of the way, but those ones, those are going to be tasty ones next week. I'm glad we left some of those for next week. Yes, good job on the content, Graham. Yes, very well thought the out. Content management. Things. Yes. Content management. That's brilliant. Yes. <laughs> you have to manage at this time of the year. You know, it's a very slow period. You have to, you have to really to stretch it out. I thought we was going to do one team a, a week <laughs> and drag it out that way. Could you imagine? Ten weeks. Would we even... Ten weeks would get us close to... Well, it would take us pa- way past car reveals and testing, right? Yeah, yeah. Once we get to the second week of February, we will have plenty to talk about. Yeah, it's the week after next that I've, I'm not sure what will happen. But... I'll... We'll come up with something. We always talk shy. We, we might just sit there and talk shy for a week. You know? We could do that. Literally just take the can pick as a few random... Because obviously the content does... Look, the content machine rolls on. On race fans, on the race, on Aston Martin. Or sorry, Aston Martin. Motorsport.com. I have the Aston Martin article in front of me. So that's where <laughs> that came from. Uh, probably on Aston Martin as well, if given their search for a new uh, new team principal. But... And yeah. a good team, lol. And a good team, yeah. They are, well, maybe constantly searching for that. <laughs> Anywho, anything else to add on uh, a very quiet week? No, no. A very, very boring week. Yeah, I mean, when on, when on the race fans' homepage is a review for a th- Thrustmaster 248 steering wheel and pedals, you know, that kind of... <sighs> Shows you how uh, slow things are. Oh, there is more chatter about Mercedes switching back to the silver livery, which I'm fully expecting, by the way. I'm expecting a hybrid of the two. So it'd be very more... It'd be predominantly silver, but black will be there. Wasn't that Wasn't that the 2019 livery, though? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't think the black was as present as what I'm expecting. Like, mm. I, I'm expecting like black side pods or something like that, or a black uh, radiator cover or something like that. Sure. Or black stars or just another black car. You never know. Yeah, well, I guess we won't, we won't just wait too long. I guess February will be here before you know it. Well, going off the pictures they released, it, it, it was black. <laughs> it was. <laughs> That's true. So. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be fair, I mean... I remember Force India released, remember their 2017 car was originally in their silver and then obviously then BWT came in late and that thing was pink by the time they got to uh, 
Australia. I love I love the Pink Panther. I'm not sure why you don't like mm. it. I like no, it. I like I liked the Pink Panther. I just mean I hated that car. If you played the F1 games, you know exactly what I'm. I like hated it. that. I hated that car so much. The 19 ones one I didn't like with Sportpesa and the blue. Yeah, that that one was that was terrible. Rough. That was terrible. Such an afterthought. But obviously they deepened the pink, yeah, from eighteen and from eighteen onwards until twenty twenty one, obviously when they switched Aston Martin. Yeah, have, have BWT left Aston Martin? No, they are. I think they're still with them. That's why the strike of pink is, I believe, on the car. Yeah. So I'll, but I'll they're be not interested the title to see the sponsors. Yeah, I'll be interested to see the title sponsors and stuff. When they all get announced properly. I'm just waiting for McLaren to find themselves a title sponsor. It's been long enough now. They've been competitive for probably competitive now for three seasons. So when McLaren, are we, when are we going to get a title sponsor from McLaren? <laughs> McLaren Thrustmaster Codemasters Racing Team. Yeah, what a great team! That's a, that'd be a great combination. Every yes. quadrant will uh, pull. <laughs> imagine Could quadrant imagine? becoming the title sponsor. McLaren Quadrant F1 T. Oh, God. That'd be an interesting car. No. <laughs> no. No. I'm not having that. You don't think no. the, the uh, neon kind of yellow green? What, with Papaya? No. No, you get rid of the Papaya. Like, you know, you get no. rid of that. The title sponsor, like, when you get a title sponsor in, your colour scheme changes. That's usually how it goes. No. McLaren will be orange in my eyes for the rest of eternity. Right, well, good luck with that. Well, un- unless they decide to go back to the Vodafone level, which I'm all for. <laughs> I mean, unless Vodafone come back. I mean, Santander, ca- Santander yeah, came well, back, so... I was just going to say, Santander have come back, so never say never. Yeah, never, never say never in F1. As my, as my hero said. Did I say that? Well, no, Justin Bieber said it. <laughs> God. <laughs> You are you are an absolute letdown. You do realise this. Oh. <laughs> oh well, well on that note. Uh, that's gonna do it for another episode of the Switchback Formula One podcast. I have been a letdown, apparently. I have been the motherfucking lizard king. Oh, very good. <laughs> and uh, I thought about that at six AM this morning, Graham. <laughs> that's me fucking proud. I appreciate that. And uh <laughs> We shall see you next week. Sometime.